Good morning, Donato. It's Chris. I um sorry, I totally I don't know, I've been so busy at work and I didn't get a chance to call, but I wanted to wish you happy anniversary. And I listened to your podcast podcast this morning and um again, it was a great one. I really I really enjoy when you have guests on your show. Um, not that, you know, I don't mind I love listening to just you, but um it just brings another aspect to the show, and I don't know. I just really enjoyed it, and I didn't want to miss the opportunity to say happy anniversary. So have a great one, and we'll talk soon. Bye. Hey, Donato. This is Dave. Fairly new at the Consistency Challenge. Well, I'm a member of the Consistency Challenge, but I'm fairly new to your uh, podcast, and I'm so glad I found it. I look forward to every Friday morning and listening to the new podcast, and then I follow up on Saturday or Sunday and listen to it again. Uh, I've also started watching episode one and listening to each podcast in numerical order. I just want everyone to know that everything Donato covers you can take to the bank because he speaks the truth and he has lived it. And you truly lead, you truly lead by example. Have a great day, everyone. Hey, Donato, this is Trudy. I have a lot to say, so let's get into this. I was in the pool last summer, and I asked Alexa to play me a weight loss podcast, and you came on. You talked some, and then you said, are you at goal weight and struggling? Honest to God, my head came up off of that raft, and I said, yes, like you were right there. I could hardly wait to go to my meeting and tell everybody about you, and I've not missed an episode since. This great-grandma loves you, and you are an inspiration. Um, and I want to tell you, keep up your great weight loss, and you are inspiring to us. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 155 of the Ranting Weight Watcher podcast. This is part two of the anniversary episode. Welcome if you're new here. I hope you enjoy the show. Please consider subscribing. And if you enjoy it, Please consider telling anyone you know that is having the same issues that we have. And if you think my podcast would help them, please inform them. Inform anybody who will listen to you about the podcast. Um, And if the app you're using to listen to the show allows you to rate the show, please leave a four-star, a five-star rating. Write a review review about the show. All of these things help other people find it. When they just do a general search like a weight loss podcast, my podcast will show up higher on the list the more ratings I get. Thank you so much for all you do to support this. I have so much to talk about today. Let's get into this. Journey updates. I am down this week, down 3.4 pounds. Total loss for the month of August is 4 pounds. Total loss since January 2019 is 168.4 pounds. 
pounds remaining to get to the 175-pound milestone is 6.6 pounds. Pounds remaining to get to the 200-pound milestone, 35 pounds. Two weeks ago, I asked a question in my Facebook groups, on my Instagram page, and in Connect. And I said, let's have some fun for the anniversary episode. If there was any question you can ask me, ask me anything. We can keep it fun. It didn't have to be weight loss related. It could be literally about anything. If you guys wanted to get to know my personality, whatever the case may be. I never expect the response that I received. I got so many questions from so many people on all three platforms. So I'm going to condense that. And basically, this episode is going to be dedicated to all of you guys. It's going to be like a Q&A. Ask Donato anything. <laughs> all right, here we go. The first question is going to be journey-related. And the question is, If you were to reflect on your entire journey thus far since starting WW, what would be the one thing you would not do if you were giving advice to a newbie? So in, in my quest for knowledge here, I've learned something. The entire industry seems to focus on an aspect of weight loss that certainly works. But number one, it does not work long-term. And number two, it doesn't necessarily bring lasting results. They're not long-term solutions. Between doctors, between fitness in general, I, I mean, the whole industry gears you to think one thing. When you see those commercials for... Uh, all these gyms and come the end of December and it's about to be New Year's, what do you see people doing? You see people getting in shape, but what are they doing primarily? They're doing cardio. When you go to the doctor and the doctor's looking at you and he's saying, well, you know, you really need to lose some weight. His recommendation, 99 times out of 100, is going to be get on the treadmill, get on the bike, go for a walk. I'm not telling you this doesn't work. It certainly works. It brings the weight down. And it works quicker, right? It is a a way to get some quick results doing things on a cardio level. It's a way to get some quick results. But if I can go back in time knowing what I know now on day one and change my journey, I would forget about how long it would take me but I would not use cardio as my method of weight loss. I would have begun with weight training. And here's the thing. Here's the reason why. When you try to lose weight based on cardio type of exercise, you lose weight. The number goes down on the scale, but it's one of three things. It's body fat, water, or muscle. Now, when that number goes down, 
you have no clue which of those three things it is. It could be all muscle that's going. It could be all fat that's going. It could be all water that's going. It could be a combination of all three. You don't really know. There's the smart scales to tell you that stuff. I don't know how accurate they are. I'll be experimenting with one, that's for sure. But the idea that you can lose muscle is part of the reason why it's so hard for us later on in the journey. If we keep losing weight, okay, let's take me for example. I just finished telling you I'm down 168.4 pounds. I did that all based on calorie deficit and cardio exercise. And I ask myself this question often. And you guys may not like this question because it's got a negative, basically the way I'm saying it to you, it's a negative undertone. How much of that 168 pounds that I lost is muscle? How much? Because here's the one thing the fitness world tells you. Muscle burns fat, but cardio burns calories. So when you, do, when you get on a treadmill or when you go for a walk, you're burning calories during that walk. But the minute you come in the house, your calorie burning is over and you immediately replace those calories with your next meal. Now, if we were weight training, we would be building muscle. And the presence of muscle in the body burns fat no matter what time of day it is, no matter what you're doing. If you start to build a foundation of muscle, your body would burn fat sitting down watching Family Feud on TV. But when the doctor tells you he wants you to lose weight and they're guiding you in this cardio approach, it's not a bad way to lose weight. It's just, I mean, really, it's not a foundational way. Considering that you can lose muscle and that you need muscle to burn fat, it doesn't make sense at all, does it? If we're thinking about it on this level, it doesn't make any sense to risk losing muscle if you need muscle to burn fat. But this is the way we're geared. We're geared to think, all right, let's get on that treadmill. Let's go for a walk. Let's do whatever we got to do. That's because that activity causes the scale number to go down quicker, giving you a sense of accomplishment, giving you a sense of success. But here I am. I wonder on almost a daily basis how much of that 168 pounds that I lost is muscle and how much harder did my life get for the final 30 pounds if my body is more fat than muscle now I basically changed my body fat percentage in a worse way, even though I weigh less. Let that sink in for a minute. If I lost, let's say, 168 pounds down, I lost 100 of that was muscle. It would throw my body fat percentage way off, and my fat percentage would be much higher than my muscle percentage. And if there's no muscle or if there's very little muscle... There's very little fat burn. So knowing what I know now, 
And, and think about it. If you're out there, I think there was one other person that asked, how do you go about losing the last 10 pounds? This is the same thing here we're talking about. The last 10 pounds are so hard. Think about it. How much of the weight you've already lost, how much of it was muscle? And how much of that muscle is not present to help you lose the last 10 pounds you're talking about? It's, a, it's kind of a sucky way to think about it. But it's, it's been on my mind for quite a while, to be honest with you. And if I could go back in time and steer myself to do this so that the results would not come nearly as fast, because this is why they don't push us toward weight training, because the progress is much, much slower. But the longevity, the, the ability to keep your progress, you're almost ensuring it because of the building of the muscle. Getting on a treadmill builds no muscle. Using a bike builds no muscle. Going for a walk builds no muscle. Only strength training builds muscle. So that's what I would change. Got a question from Alicia. She says, as my little kid neighbor just asked me, what's your favorite dinosaur? What's your favorite animal? What's your favorite cereal? And what would be, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? (laughs) I like this. My favorite dinosaur when I was a kid was definitely the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex was my favorite dinosaur. And then at some point, as I got a little older, it became the Triceratops. And I think the TV show, The Transformers, had something to do with that because they had the Dinobots. And I thought the, the Dinobot that looked like the Triceratops was really cool looking. <laughs> And I think at some point, my favorite dinosaur changed to the Triceratops because of that character in the Transformers. <laughs> my favorite animal, I think I've actually covered this on a previous episode, but my favorite wild animal on the planet, or my favorite animal on the planet, is a Siberian tiger. There's something about the Siberian tiger I love. Everything about the way the Siberian tiger lives, it's something in me that desires that kind of life. And a lot of it is... they Okay, so the, the Siberian tiger lives in one of the harshest environments on the planet in Siberia. And... It is always cold. It is always snowing. It's, it's a, just a freezing environment. And it lives a solitary life. The Siberian tiger only comes together with other Siberian tigers when it's time to procreate. Other than that, they are solitary. And all they do, their entire life is the definition of survival 
in a frozen environment like this, the available wildlife to eat is going to be limited. And yet they survive. They are an endangered species, but that's because of man. Because somebody somewhere pays a big buck for the fur, which is pretty sad to me. But that would be, it's funny, I've called it my spirit animal. I love, I absolutely love the Siberian tiger. Always have, always will. My favorite cereal right now is Cracklin' Oat Bran. <laughs> and, and you know what, though? Cracklin' Oat Bran has been one of my favorite cereals for a very long time. When I was a kid, I used to eat it, you know, like handfuls of it. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? You know, I was really into comic books as a kid. My favorite superheroes had no superpowers they were just regular people regular in the human sense right they were human they were not supernatural they didn't have some spider bite them in a, in a lab okay <laughs> but my favorite superhero was iron man and what was iron man Iron Man was a billionaire genius philanthropist. And so what he created was a suit that turned him into a superhero. Batman was a billionaire genius philanthropist. And what he created was a suit that made him a superhero. Now, Batman did know martial arts. Iron Man didn't. So Iron Man depended on basically military technology that he wrapped around his body to make him super. Batman had at least martial arts to back him up if he didn't have the suit on. But if I could, I mean, this may not even sound like a superpower to you, but if I could be as genius as Iron Man was, I could literally do anything. And if you can make me a billionaire in the process, that'd be great. <laughs> that, would be, uh, that would be what I would want to be. I would want to be a genius and be so good that I could create a superhero out of nothing. That's what I would want. We're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, dear Donato. Happy anniversary to you. Hey, this is Phyllis. I wanted. I have been a faithful listener to the Ranting Weight Watcher for about a year and a half. Um, I've been a Weight Watcher member since 1991, and and actually, all but about three years ago, 
I went up over my goal weight and I'm getting closer and closer, almost back there. But I have noticed some real changes in my health journey since I've been listening to the podcast and applying those principles, the biggest one being that I no longer have an emotional response to changes in the scale. I no longer get ecstatic and delighted at a weight loss. I no longer get discouraged at a weight gain because I know that I'm doing the work and those little fluctuations in the scale really don't matter. I also don't get that discouraged over the occasional bad day because I know that the big thing is consistency overall in the big picture. I've noticed that my health and my journey gets less, I would say less attention, but again, less emotion. And I would say it's because it's become more of a habit, something I do and something I don't have to, you know, psych myself out to do it. We know that consistency is a long-term, lifetime commitment, and knowing that has changed my whole approach to my health. Donato, I appreciate your honesty about your journey and your commitment to tell the truth, even if it may sometimes seem harsh, because we need to know the truth, even if we don't want to at times. Happy anniversary. I appreciate all the hard work, the hours you put into each week's podcast, and the results are really affecting so many of us. Appreciate you and all of the members of the RWW Consistency Challenge Facebook group, and I look forward to the years ahead. Thank you, and God bless you. I thought to myself, how can I show really change someone's life but upon further reflection you are the show therefore you really have changed my life because of your obnoxiously honest self and how you stayed true to yourself for the entire time of sharing your journey it has helped me be able to be true to myself and learn the things that I needed to learn to get to where I need to be. So thank you, Donato, for starting your podcast and continuing it and having the guts to be as honest as you are. Hey, Donato. Jessica from California. Just wanted to let you know how um, happy I am that I found your podcast. I listen to it every week. I've been on the hamster wheel of weight loss my whole life pretty much and um, I have had success at times but uh, I don't feel like I've ever had anything long term but I feel really encouraged. You've opened my eyes to a lot of things that mistakes that I was doing trying to correct and being consistent is one of them for sure. So just want to thank you. Um, I've had some great uh, success with this checklist challenge so far and really enjoying it. It's um, kind of given me a new, uh, I don't know, a little pump shot in the arm, I guess, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. And I uh, feel like I want to get it right this time. So thank you once again. Continue with what you're doing. I love it. Thanks.
And we are back. Thanks for sticking with me. What's your hobby? What's your favorite movie? Okay. So this is where a little I become a little bit of a geek here. <laughs> um I'm always tinkering with electronics, with anything technology-wise. I'm always tinkering. I spend a lot of time using old computer technology and trying to revitalize it into something else. For example, how many of you guys play video games on your phone. You're sitting there and you're messing with your phone and you're playing a video game and every time you get to the next level or every time you fail at a level, you have to watch an ad. And those ads, with certain games, those ads are coming up like every 10 seconds and they're, the game is almost unplayable because of how many ads are popping up while you're playing them. Well, in my house, those ads don't exist. I have a single, it's called a single board computer. The entire computer is one microchip that is about the size of a credit card. And you can literally hide this computer anywhere in the house. As long as it has internet access, it will do its job. And once programmed properly, its job is to make the app that you're playing the game with believe that you saw the ad. (laughs) That's a, this, this computer's entire job. All it does is run all day long. And it doesn't just block ads on the games. It blocks ads on everything. You can go to Facebook and see something completely different than I see. Because Facebook thinks they're sending me the ads, but I don't see any of them because of this little computer sitting in my house programmed to make Facebook think I saw the ad but not ever show it to me. And the same thing with video games, the same thing with Instagram, the same thing with even retail websites. When I go to websites that, like Macy's or whatever it is, all of these things that pop up in your face to try and get you to do something, all blocked by that little computer. And that little computer was just sitting in my house somewhere. And I just saw a YouTube video on what you can do with that little computer. So I did it. (laughs) So that would be my hobby. Forcing technology to do things, especially age technology, technology that's just sitting in drawers in my house because it's basically obsolete otherwise and finding a new use for it. That is my hobby. 
Now my favorite movie. I love movies. Let me just let me just say that first. I love movies. My favorite movie at the moment is Top Gun 2. And if you haven't seen Top Gun 2, I'll just say this about it. It is the first time ever in my 45 years of life that a part two of any movie was better than the part one. First time ever. I love The Godfather. My, uh, the Godfather was my father's favorite movie. And he wanted so badly to pass that on to me, that this movie's a great movie, that he would have me sitting in the living room with him and we would be up until two and three in the morning watching The Godfather. And I was, I don't know, 14, 15, 12, 13, whatever it was. And I would sit there watching The Godfather with him. And it was on VHS. So this was before DVD and all that stuff. It was VHS. You had to have two VHS tapes because that's how long the movies were. And he would literally, he would pause it. He would stop the movie and he'd say, do you understand what's going on? And he would explain to me exactly what was happening. And it's funny because in my time with him, there was many moments where we were re-watching the movie. I mean, he knew he showed it to me. I knew he showed it to me. But he would still pause in the same parts and ask if I knew what was going on. It was, I guess it was really important to him that I grasped that movie. But I say that all to tell you that even Godfather Part 1 and Part 2, I could never choose between those two. I could not tell you that Part 1 was better than Part 2. I could not tell you that Part 2 was better than Part 1. They were, they were the best movies. And they were equal. If they could have turned Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 into one movie, it would be the perfect movie. Because part two goes back in time and you find out how the Don in part one became the Don. You have a historical aspect. I never once found it, but there was said to be for collectors that they had the entire Godfather series, but they placed all of the scenes in chronological order. So regardless of how the movie or the theatrical version was played or planned, you would actually see, based on the timeline of the story, you would watch the film. I never actually found this for sale anywhere, but it was definitely a sought-after collector's item. But again, even with those two, I could never choose. But Top Gun 2, 
way better than Top Gun 1. Way better. I mean, astronomically better. And the way they wove the old story with a new story, giving you that taste of nostalgia. For anybody who's a fan of the original movie, they loved this movie. And if you were a fan of the original and you haven't seen the part two, what cave are you living in? Go and see it. If it's something you didn't think that you wanted to see, but you enjoyed part one, go and see it. Well, now it's going to be something you rent or whatever. But yeah, do it. But there are three movies I would tell you to watch that no one, not many people know about. And they are all based on a true story. And they just have a different significance toward me. Because because they are based on a true story. They just have a different effect on my life. They would definitely be somewhere in my top 10. Definitely in my top 15 movies. Maybe I should make a list one day. And say, if you love the ranting Weight Watcher, then you'll watch all his favorite movies. <laughs> um, I would have to make two separate lists. I'd have to make a list of movies, and then I have to make a list of holiday movies. <laughs> but these three movies all based on a true story. The first one is called Rudy. Now, when movies are based on a true story, you often know the story. And this is just a depiction of the story. Because it actually happened. This kid, Rudy, his dream was to play football for the University of Notre Dame. And this movie gave me a desire to go to Notre Dame, I can't even tell you. But... I never really applied myself in school. I never uh, cared enough to give the effort. I'll be bluntly honest here. I was a C student and I was happy about it. Just enough to get by. Um, in the movie, you watch him work harder and harder and harder. And then finally, he gets into the school. Now he has to make the football team. And he, gets, he starts to work harder and harder and harder. When that kid runs out onto the field for the last game of his senior year with 18 seconds or whatever it was, on the clock and that was the moment he lived his dream I can't tell you how many times I've seen the movie but I could tell you I've never watched it with dry eyes because that's how powerful that moment is so Rudy is one of those movies if you're, if you're looking for something to do, 
the Don says, <laughs> make sure you see that movie. <laughs> um, another based on a true story movie is Cinderella Man. This is based in, I want to say, if it's not the Great Depression, it's pretty damn close to the Great Depression. That time period in America, where the Amer- America was basically, you were either extremely rich or poor. If you look around, it's kind of happening right now. But um, that was the the time period it was in. And Cinderella Man is of a, a, a story about a boxer who basically left boxing in order to try to provide his for his family in this time period. And him being unable to do so because of the amount of people that needed work in that time. And a very difficult life, and a um, but they made it work. Him and his family. But it's it's a wonderful story about being persistent and uh, basically doing it regardless of circumstance. Doing what needs to be done, based on just the fact that you need to do it, regardless of what. You feel. That's a great movie. And another one, my favorite probably of these three, of all of the movies that I love that are based on a true story, this one is my my favorite. It's called The Greatest Game Ever Played. And this is a story about the first ever amateur to win the U.S. Open. It's a movie about golf. And in these days, golf was a rich man's sport. And I'm pretty sure it's still kind of a rich man's sport now. There are public courses, yes, but it's mostly a rich man's sport. And the division between classes, you know, all of these aspects. And there's a, a young man who from the time he's a boy, he loves the game of golf. And spends so many hours because somebody gave him a golf club. Just practicing with a with a cup, a ball, and a golf club, and just practicing putting and all kinds of things. But his talent made a way for him. And he was given an opportunity with a club sponsor to be the first ever amateur to play in the US Open. And there's a class dynamic, you know, you're poor, you don't belong here, kind of a thing. 
And then there's a father-son dynamic. And my father and I, we never really had the greatest of relationships. I just told you about a really great time with my father and watching those Godfather movies. But other than that, and a few other stories, there aren't many moments that I could say were pleasant with between me and my father. And so a lot of the dynamic between this young man and his father are all about this is not for you. This is not for us. We are not these people. We are not rich. You can't be playing a game. How do you make money playing a game? You need to do what we have been doing in this family for decades. You go, you earn a living, and you bring it home to your family. And you do that every day, wash, rinse, repeat. And even though this kid's talent was making a way for him, the father wanted him to fit the mold. There's a part at the end of the movie because the father and him they get into a fight and stop talking. And there's a part at the end of the movie when he gets the last putt to win the U.S. Open. And they're carrying him because he's the first ever amateur to win the U.S. Open. They're carrying the regular people are carrying him. And there's this moment where he's looking around and he's seeing all, you know, all these people are holding up money because they know as an amateur he made no money to win this. And they're all trying to hand him money. To sh- because he did such a good job. They're all trying to hand him money. And he's grabbing the money. And he doesn't want the money for himself. He wants the money for his caddy. He wanted to be able to pay his caddy. But when he goes to grab one of the dollar bills, he realizes he's holding his father's hand. And the look on his father's face, if there was ever a look that said, I'm proud of you, it's that look. It's that look in that movie. And uh, if it's one look I never received from my father, It's that look. That look from that movie. My father's passed many years ago. So it's not something I can hope for. 
And that whole opportunity is gone for me. But there's not a single time I can watch that movie where that part, it doesn't kill me. Our next question is, what is your most treasured memory as a child? I don't know how far back we're going here. Um, in high school, let me let me tell. So I already established that I was a C student and happy to be so. Okay, I was good at doing just enough to pass, and that's all I wanted to do. That was my attitude on school. In my school that I went to, my high school. As you met the requirements of the state to, let's say there was a, you know, three-year requirement of science or a two-year requirement of math or whatever the requirements were, right? You then at that point no longer had to take that class and then you can replace it with an elective. So I got the bright idea that every time I met the requirement for a class... I would replace it with gym class. (laughs) So by my time of my junior year, I had like four gym classes a day. Now you would think this would be great for me, right? Except I spent so much time in the gym that I didn't really do anything. (laughs) Um, And I noticed that I seemed to influence a bunch of my friends to do the same thing as they met the requirements of the state they had to choose an elective they made gym their new elective and they kept adding gym class as a new elective so it got to the point one day where the teacher would look at us and go guys bounce a ball do something i gotta give you credit for being here (laughs) (laughs) and so uh we would go and mess around you know and uh shoot the balls or whatever and then we get credit for being there but um i don't know how this all even came about how he received these items but one day he is pushing something into the middle of the gym doesn't say anything to any of us we're like 20 kids who basically all followed my lead and all of us have three or more gym classes per day. And so we're all just sitting on the bleachers, chilling out, hanging out, having a good time. (laughs) And we see the gym teacher pushing out something onto the basketball court. We're like, what's he doing? What's, what's, uh, his name was Mr. Passero. What's Passero doing? And so (laughs) he's pushing and then he, Folds down, it basically is a ping pong table. So we're all kind of like intrigued. We never really thought like, oh, you know, no, none, none of us in the class and none of us in the school ever thought ping pong was something we'd be interested in. But he starts rolling it out into the gym floor and he folds down the legs and he takes some paddles, puts them out there. And he invites, you know, somebody to come play against him. 
and Passero was really good. He, he was like, uh, and, and so then it became like, oh, really? You know, and we were, we were very interested. So it was like one at a time we would try to beat him and he would just kill us every single time. And then it got to the point where we all started playing each other. And um, sooner or later, somebody had gone down into the, there was a weight room. And they have those belts that are bat, like back support. So when you're lifting weights, it's like a really big, thick leather belt. And they go to the weight room and they see this belt. And on the back side of this belt, it says champion. <laughs> All of a sudden, everything in gym class changed, right? And all, we have a, um, a rolling chalkboard or whatever, and we're drawing up brackets, and we're organizing a tournament between everybody in the classroom for the rights to hold the championship belt. <laughs> the, the ping pong championship belt at Ripawam High School. <laughs> And so we're all going crazy and we're all uh, drawing up the brackets and who's ranked this and who's ranked that. We're, we're going crazy. So we went from sitting down and basically doing nothing all day to being obsessed with ping pong. And one of our friends, his name was Jason. He was the most athletic one out of all of us. So he would always end up champion no matter how many tournaments we made or anything like that. But he always ended up champion every single time. And uh, <laughs> as we went through or whatever, we finished high school, it stuck with me. Ping pong stuck with me. And still to this day, I see a ping pong table and I'm very intrigued. I'm very uh, drawn to it because I want to play again. There was a time as I started, I was really on the way to 460 pounds. I had purchased a ping pong table because of this experience in high school. And everybody in the neighborhood was always at my house. Everybody was, we were organizing tournaments for the neighborhood. And we, we bought one of these, you know, replica WWE wrestling belts. And we would say, that's the championship belt or whatever. <laughs> And so we went crazy in the neighborhood with ping pong. But as I got heavier, it became harder to play. And people realized I was one of the best players that, out of all of us. And they began to realize if they just played me long enough and kept me on my feet long enough, that I was easy to beat, essentially. I, I, if I can get there and beat you in the minimum amount of time, I was good. But if I had to go to the distance um, and you made me stand on my feet that long, I was just going to eventually lose. And that was kind of sad to kind of go that way. And so the, the desire to return to ping pong, and there are times actually where I think to myself, Maybe I should join a, a table tennis club. There's got to be some in Florida table tennis club just to see, you know, if I, after dropping all this weight, would I be any better at it? I can't remember what weight I was while I was trying to play, but I was definitely on the climb. 
and I'm definitely better off now than I was then. But the draw to ping pong is always there. Always. Especially when I see a ping pong table, I am just drawn to it because of that experience in high school. I want to give a special thanks before I end the show here. Two people sent gifts for the anniversary of this podcast. I mean, I can't even fathom that anybody would want to send a gift for this podcast's anniversary. But first, I want to say thank you to Charlotte. Charlotte sent something in the mail. It was a smart scale that I guess she also uses. And uh, it comes with an app that has all kinds of body metrics when you step on it. I will definitely be checking that out and messing around with the app to see what I can do with it. Thank you so much for thinking of me. It means the world to me that you would send something like that. And secondly, I want to thank Allison. Allison is the cognitive behavioral therapist that was on two episodes with me as my special guest. The first episode was episode 83. And the second one was episode 123. Both of them really great episodes. They were extremely popular ones. They, they sat in my top five listen to episodes for quite a while. I'm not sure if they're there now, but they definitely were for quite a while. Allison gifted me a DEXA scan. She heard me talking to Terry and heard me putting off weightlifting until I can get one. I, I can't even tell you how much this means to me. I mean, it just, it blows my mind that anybody would think to send a gift like this. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. I also want to thank Terry. Terry, you came on in part one of this anniversary podcast and you really classed up the place. <laughs> um, I loved having you on. It was probably the, the best feeling to have you with me. I'll never forget recording that with you. And I look forward to recording many more with you. You don't have an option there, just so you know. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you for being the best thing that has happened to me and my family that we never knew was possible when we started this journey. I love you. Most of all, I want to thank all of you. Some of you have been with me all three of the last three years. And you're still with me now going into year four. This podcast, in a lot of ways, has been a dream come true. I always saw myself in some kind of broadcasting. I always saw myself wanting to be behind a microphone week after week, 
fear held me back from doing that so long. And so much of my life is gone where I could have been in a career in broadcasting. But I guess I had to go through that fear to get to where I am now. I would never have guessed if you asked me 20, 30 years ago if my quest for health would give me the broadcast dream I always wanted. I never would have guessed that. I never would have thought that. But here I am. Everything I go through, everything I've experimented with, all of the experiences I've gone through here, I sit at this microphone week after week and I give to you. And it's your choice to either receive what I put out there or ignore it. That choice is yours. But it's all out there for anybody with an open mind. I hope this podcast has blessed you as much as it's blessed me. Because it has given me my dream of broadcasting in a way that I never expected. But it has given me so much more. Because of this broadcast week after week, I have stayed accountable longer doing this than I have in any attempt to become healthy in all of my life. And this is the one difference. This is the one thing that kept me going. Thank you for listening week after week. I love each and every one of you. God bless you all.